Good morning. Um, We'll be reading from Galatians, uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. And the text is also printed in your bulletin on page 6. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. La lectura de hoy viene del libro de Gálatas, este, capítulo 2, versículos 14 al 21. Cuando vi que no actuaban rectamente, como corresponde a la integridad del Evangelio, le dije a Pedro delante de todos, Si tú, que eres judío, vives como si no lo fueras, ¿por qué obligas a los gentiles a practicar el judaísmo? Nosotros somos judíos de nacimiento y no pecadores paganos. Sin embargo, al reconocer que nadie es justificado por las obras que demanda la ley, sino por la fe en Cristo, este, también nosotros hemos puesto nuestra fe en Cristo Jesús, para ser justificados por la fe en Él y no por las obras de la ley, porque por estas nadie será justificado. Ahora bien, cuando buscamos ser justificados por Cristo, se hace evidente que nosotros mismos somos pecadores, ¿Quiere esto decir que Cristo está al servicio del pecado? De ninguna manera. Si uno vuelve a edificar lo que antes había destruido, se hace transgresor. Yo por mi parte, mediante la ley, he muerto a la ley, a fin de vivir para Dios. He sido crucificado con Cristo, y ya no vivo yo, sino que Cristo vive en mí. Lo que ahora vivo en el cuerpo, lo vivo por la fe en el Hijo de Dios, quien me amó y dio su vida por mí. No desecho la gracia de Dios. Si la justicia se obtuviera mediante la ley, Cristo hubiera muerto en vano. Thank you, Leila and Daniel. Well, we're continuing today with our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we actually looked at this passage last week. And we're looking at it again, and this time we're really just going to focus our attention on one key verse. That's verse 16. Let me read it for you one more time. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, 
but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We've got Q&A coming up. Feel free to take notes. Let me say a word of prayer before we begin. Jesus, we ask for your blessing on this time, and we pray that you would come near, because we do need your help, not just to have clear minds, but open hearts. Ultimately, we're praying that you would change our lives. Preach the good news, not just to our ears, but to our very souls, to your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How close can you get? How close can you get? That's the name of the game on Inauguration Day, isn't it? Access. Acceptance. And I don't know if you were there in person or if you watched on TV or if you've seen an inaugural ceremony in the past. But did you notice how the inauguration serves as this fascinating visual illustration of just how challenging it is to gain access to or acceptance of the President of the United States. It's really hard, isn't it, to get in close. I mean, you had to get through a 10-foot-high fence and pass through intense security just to get within 1,000 yards of the president. And that doesn't even mean you're able to see the big jumbotron to tell what's really going on. To get within 500 yards of the president in the ceremony, you needed a ticket. Some of you might have had one, but even that didn't mean you got a chair or that you actually even got to see anything either. And you really had to be a member of the inner circle to get up there, way up there, next to the president himself, where various officials were seated together with James Taylor and Jay-Z and his lip-syncing wife. Uh, No, no, no. I love Beyonce. Come on now. Come on now. It's not that big a deal. I'm not even talking right now. This is a recording. What's the big deal, right? Look, if it's this hard, if it's that hard to gain access to the president, to be accepted by him as it were, how much harder with God? How do you get in with God? How do you have a privileged relationship with him? The irony, of course, is that most of us believe it's easier to get in with God than it is with the president. Which makes no sense at all. How do you get in with God? How do you have a privileged relationship with Him? How do you get accepted by God? That is the question that Paul is addressing in his letter to the Galatians and specifically in this passage. The key word that helps our understanding of what Paul is getting at here is the word justified. Everybody say justified. 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 You may not know the meaning of that word as it's used in the Bible. It may not be something that you're comfortable with. In the Bible, to be justified is to be accepted as perfect 
in God's sight. Justified is what you are when a judge looks at you and says, righteous. That's his verdict. Looking at you and declaring that you are righteous. Paul tells us something extremely important, something extremely profound in this passage, and it's this, that there are basically just two ways to live, two ways to seek to be justified, two ways to attain or maintain a righteous standing before God, before the world, and before yourself. Either we can seek acceptance or righteousness by what Paul calls the works of the law. We see that phrase used three times in verse 16. Or we seek acceptance or righteousness before God by faith in Jesus Christ. He also repeats that phrase three times. We're just going to spend the remainder of our time talking about what each of those mean and some implications And then we'll turn it over to you for some questions. So first of all, Paul says there is a way to try to approach God by seeking to be justified by works of the law. This is a mentality where we are seeking to make ourselves acceptable to God by the things we do. This is what we do. We set before ourselves some standard of righteousness or acceptability. Sort of like a high bar on a high jump platform. Some standard of righteousness or acceptability. That standard might be part of God's moral law. Loving your neighbor, not lying or stealing, telling the truth, honoring God. Or that standard might be some self-imposed standard of what I ought to be. What I ought to be to be a better version of myself. And then we start striving towards that standard or jumping over that bar. We try to earn our acceptability by the things we do by our own performance, which Paul calls our works. And then we live our whole lives building and maintaining and protecting a record of righteousness. Things that we believe make us acceptable to God, acceptable to myself, acceptable to the people around me. And we start to tell ourselves this. It's barely detectable in our hearts sometimes. But we really live according to these words. I'm not acceptable to God, to others, or even to myself unless... What is it? Unless you do what? Unless you become what? I'm not acceptable unless I stay out of trouble or I do my best to follow the Ten Commandments. I'm not acceptable unless I get into that school. I'm working a certain kind of job. No way. I'm not acceptable unless I'm physically attractive. I'm not acceptable unless I sound good when I pray. Or I read the Bible all the time. I'm not acceptable unless I'm married. I'm not acceptable unless I'm happy or unless I'm experiencing pain, suffering for other people. I'm not acceptable unless I'm busy and productive all the time. 
Not acceptable unless my friends think I'm tough or my friends think I'm all right. I'm not acceptable unless I know a lot of stuff full of knowledge. I'm not acceptable unless my children behave in public and make me look like a good parent. I know, low blow to us parents, right? I'm not acceptable unless I help people, serve the poor, feel needed. And you can go on and on and on. And here's an invitation to you to consider your life. Maybe jot something down. What are you doing? What do you habitually do? What's wired in you to do to give yourself a sense of righteousness and acceptability? What makes you feel like I'm okay? What kind of record of righteousness are you trying to build up day in and day out, conversation in and conversation out, relationship in and relationship out, minute by minute throughout the day? Usually we do not say this stuff out loud. But if we listen closely to the desires and maybe especially the fears of our hearts, we start to hear it. I really believe that I am justified by the things that I do, accomplish, the way that I perform. Religious activity is my righteousness. Relationships are my righteousness. Success is my righteousness. We talked about this with respect to this passage last week. My race and culture is my righteousness. The ways we try to earn God's approval, win my own approval, perform for other people's approval. What is it for you? And maybe you're saying, well, what's the big deal? Okay, fine. I'm a little weird and I'm kind of obsessive and I'm kind of always performing all the time and I can't turn it off and I'm earning everyone's everything all the time. What's the big deal? What's wrong with it ultimately? First of all, Paul tells us simply it doesn't work. It just does not work. He says, by the works of the law, no one will actually be justified, will be counted as truly righteous in God's sight, will be truly accepted by God, and therefore have any basis for acceptance before other people. Friends, can we just be honest? We don't measure up. Not to the standards of God's way of love, nor even to the standards that we put ourselves up to. We can't do it. That's why we're so crazy. We cannot fulfill these standards. And if you feel pretty self-assured that you're doing pretty well and you're basically a pretty good person, I mean, just consider something as basic as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. My goodness, I can't get through a day without killing that one a hundred times. The other day, standing in the bank, Anyone trying to try to go to the bank a couple of days ago? Like, apparently all the banks in the region, the system shut down. I don't know how that happens. Long lines out the door. And I'm thinking to myself, as I'm watching carefully to make sure nobody cuts in line. <laughs> do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I hate it when other people cut. But if I'm in a jam, well, you, you just have to understand my situation here. You have to understand the the special circumstances and exceptional case that I am. 
Everything that we do, even our best intentions, are always so tainted by a self-addicted heart, isn't it? Even our best deeds, the Bible says, just screwed up by our self-centeredness. Not long ago, I was enjoying a great lunch not too far from here, and some of our kids spilled a bunch of water on the ground. Not a big deal, just a puddle of water. We asked the person to help clean it up. They brought out the mop and started mopping it up. After a little while, we're continuing our meal, and we start saying, what is that stench here? What just happened? And we realized that mop stunk. And it was just a little puddle of water, but in the effort of trying to clean it up, a dirty mop made the situation worse. It looked cleaner, but it stunk worse. That's like me. Even my best efforts at putting before something clean stinks because it's filled up with me. Selfishness, self-centered motives, self-obsessed goals and desires, even if it's just a little bit, even just a little bit. The last thing you really want to do is to have to stand before the living God with your own personal record of righteousness. Because Paul reminds us it will not work. You will not be justified. Are you coming to the point of acknowledging that? But not only does it not work, if you try to live in this way, in the meanwhile, you'll just start to kill yourself and fall apart. Living by works of the law in order to earn a record of righteousness yourself, it just makes you less human, friends. It makes you a less attractive person. It makes you unbearable to be around. If you just think about all the ways, if we're living in this way, we become intensely insecure and fragile people. Because then we are committed, necessarily so, committed to having to protect this wonderful record of performance and righteousness that I've been building up and pouring all my life into. And so you better not mess with it. And we've got all these elaborate strategies of protecting this record of righteousness. Let me give you a few of them. And they all start with the letter D in honor of me, because I do all of them, right? My name's Duke. First strategy, dishonesty and deception. Because if my sense of acceptability is based on performing well, then I cannot afford to make mistakes. I cannot afford to do wrong things or to look wrong or look bad. And so I'm going to do everything I can to hide my weaknesses and do everything I can to hide the true flawed me and present to you only the good parts of myself. So no way you're going to get close to me. Not going to let you see the real real me. I'm terrible at relationships now. No way I'm going to tell the truth about myself. I know nothing about repentance and honesty about my flaws. If dutiful religious behavior is my righteousness, well, I'm not going to talk about my sins or failures. If my reputation with my friends is my righteousness, then I'm going to be too busy faking and impressing people. Or if my career is my righteousness, I'm actually going to be more prone to lie in a job interview. 
dishonesty and deception, defensiveness. If my identity is based on my performance record, well, you better not mess with my record. Don't challenge it, because I'm pretty good. And everything starts to feel like an attack or a threat to my sense of righteousness. If my children and their behavior is my righteousness, I'm going to get super touchy if you start talking about how I'm raising my kids. See, people that live according to the works of the law are always full of excuses and defenses and blame shifting. Third D, disdain. We start to cut people down. We start to use harsh criticism or sarcasm so that by comparison, we're chopping others down so that we feel pretty good about ourselves. If we're grading on a curve, the worse your record is, the better my record looks. Look, people that live according to works of the law, people that are performing all the time, are always marked by a critical spirit. You're always looking out for what's wrong with other people because quietly it makes you feel more assured about your own righteousness. Lastly, display. You're always putting yourself on display because you need to make sure that people see how great you're really doing. Always talking about myself. Always advertising and publicizing. Always boasting and bragging. Always managing people's perception of me, trying to appear better, smarter, wiser, funnier, holier. And I always struggle when people don't notice my accomplishments. Got to slip it in there. Make sure they see it. Because if you don't see my record, my record don't count. So I'm talking about it. And I'm talking about it. And I'm talking about me. It doesn't work, friends. And it just kills you and makes you into a terrible, crippled, barely human person that is not the free individual that the gospel offers you to be and become. It's no wonder in the next chapter of Galatians, Paul concludes, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Do you feel that curse today, dear friends? You want to get free. There is a better way. There is a better way. And Paul says, and that is to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me start by giving you a picture, a picture based upon the imagery and the metaphors and the words that Paul is using here. Here it is. You're standing there in the middle of a massive courtroom. It's actually the court of heaven. And God is the judge. This feeling of dread suddenly comes over you when you realize that you are the defendant. You're up for trial, and here they bring your record of righteousness. You're told the judge is about to comb over your personal details, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever failed to do, everything you've thought, everything you've desired, every motive that's driven you, everything laid bare before the court of heaven, and you just want to throw up. You're so nervous. And the judge starts reading. Well, 
Looks like you've loved every person you've ever encountered. Hmm. And you've never held a selfish thought or motive. No, not ever. No bitterness. Only perfect forgiveness. And you have been consistently grateful to God. No grumbling. Only humility. Only gratitude. And you know yourself well enough that you need to just interrupt the judge. You're so confused, you begin to stammer. You must have the wrong person. You just must have the wrong person because I'm a sinner. I know my heart and I know you know it better than I do. That I'm so reluctant to make sacrifices for my wife. And my baby girl, most of the time, a lot of the time, I treat her as if she's just an inconvenience getting in the way of my otherwise inconvenience-free life. And I'm so envious and competitive, sometimes I just want other churches to fail. It's hideous. Whatever you just read, that's not my story. That's not my record. And then the judge looks up and says, well, your name is Jesus, isn't it? The crack of the gavel fills the room as the verdict is read. You hear the judge's voice thunder and thunder with joy. Righteous. Perfectly righteous. You are righteous. Dear friends, there is another way To be justified. To be accepted by God as righteous in His sight. Not by your works of the law, but by the works of Jesus. Where His perfect record of righteousness counts as our record of righteousness. Where we get credit for everything that He did. Every act of perfect goodness, every act of love, every act of self-sacrifice, every good motive, every thought of His, every desire of worship towards God and love towards neighbor, all of that gets credited to you, to me. And here's the good news. God begins to treat us as if we were Jesus Himself. Pouring out upon us love, favor, blessing, kindness, honor, glory. Not because we deserved it or earned it, but because Jesus did. And all we need to do, the Apostle tells us, is believe in Him. Put our faith in Him. Embrace Him with all humility and love and joy to choose Him as our unique representative before God to say, it's either Him or me. Somebody has to stand in that defendant's box when it's my turn. And if it's me, I'm screwed. But if it's him, I'm loved. So I choose him.
I choose him. And Paul calls this an expression of the grace of God in verse 21 because it's a gift. Because it's a gift. Martin Luther, the old teacher, scholar in the 16th century, when lecturing on the book of Galatians, he wrote this about what it's like, what it means to embrace Christ for justification. He says, I embrace only the righteousness of Christ, which we do not perform, but receive, which we do not have, but accept when God the Father grants it to us through Jesus Christ. See, even if you're a Christian, dear friends, one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is to rest in Jesus's righteousness. And to stop feeling like you need to produce your own as the grounds for God's love for you. Do you hear the invitation to rest? Resting from the exhaustion of striving to perform, make yourself acceptable in God's sight, in your own sight, in everybody else's sight. That striving that can finally cease. I know some of you are just tired out in life. You're up late at night. You're up all night. You're tired during the day. You hate your job. You hate your relationship. And it's not them. It's not it. It's what's in your heart. Because you'd make everything an opportunity. No, a mandate to earn a fresh new verdict from God. And your whole life feels like it's hanging in the balance and you need to justify your existence every single moment of every single day. Who doesn't get tired from that? Rest from the exhaustion of faking and pretending where you can finally be honest about your weakness. Do you understand that having the righteousness of Jesus and the approval of God with His righteousness counting as yours means that God's perfect, loved, favor-filled, blessed opinion of you therefore never changes? God can't love you any more or accept you any more than He already does if you are in Christ. And there's nothing that you could do to now then disqualify you from that state of righteousness and love and acceptance. Do you hear the security that you can live with? Do you hear the ways in which it can set you free to live a life truly now of love? Of risk-taking, self-sacrificing love? Of worship to God? Really being free because now God is no longer just the judge who's out to get you, but you know He's the lover of your soul, the Heavenly Father who embraces you. And again, not because of you, but because of His Son. Where you find yourself far more emotionally stable, where you don't go through these crazy swings of does God love me now or does He love me less? Does He love me more? Does He love me less? Because look, you know His verdict is set. And he ain't going to change his mind about you. He's already given it to you. Oh, dear friends, do you see the way this can change everything? 
There are two ways to live. Two ways to attain and maintain a righteous standing before God and the world. The choice is yours. Again, even to those of you that are Christians, remember the Apostle Paul is writing primarily to Christians in this letter. Where he says to Peter, look, you know these things on one level, yet you are not living in line with the truth of the gospel. You're not bringing your life, your actual life, your actual thoughts, your actual emotions, your actual behavior, your actual habits in conformity with the reality of the righteousness of Jesus Christ given freely to you. Will you, dear friends, inch your way in that direction? Or if all this is brand new to you, Will you grab a hold of the one who offers to be your true, free righteousness before God? The Heidelberg Catechism was a great teaching tool that was written in the 16th century in Germany. A sort of a Q&A format of teaching Christian beliefs. And one question asked the question, How are you righteous before God? How are you righteous before God? And the answer that's given, just so well put, we'll close with this, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined towards all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Amen. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Let's pray. What's a gift like that, God? What's an offer like that? To put before us two ways, one that's a dead end, one that leads to condemnation and death and frustration, and another one that leads to life. That you provide us the way of Jesus. You provide your Son. You provide Him who died and rose again for us. If only we would accept this gift with a believing heart. Help us to do that today, God, whether for the first time or maybe in a fresh and powerful and new way today. Do this for your sake, for your glory, for our good. Amen. Amen. we got to rejoice. Let's stand together. And this is a song that celebrates what Jesus has done for us and the freedom that we have of feeling like you need to bring your own works to God. Let's sing it.